This talk is from our series on Covenant. Journey with us as we ask what does Covenant mean and what relevance does it have in our relationship with Jesus. For more information, other resources and media, please visit citychurchleeds.net. Well, good morning, Leeds. How's everyone doing? I'd love you before we begin just to find someone, shake them by the hand and say, this morning you're shaking the hand of a world overcoming, devil defeating child of God. And you know, if that's all I brought this morning, that would be a pretty good message. And more than that, it's a true message. Because if the spirit of Jesus lives in you, there's no situation, there's no demon, there's no person that you can come up against that you don't have the wherewithal to overcome. And this morning you might have come up and you might have been prayed for and you, you still feel pain in your body. I want to encourage you that he that's in you, is anybody in the room this morning? He that is in you is greater than he that's in the world. And even as I'm speaking this morning, I believe pain's going to leave bodies. I believe confusion's going to go and peace is going to come. The one that's here to, um, who's making a decision whether to leave leads or not, the Holy Spirit this morning is going to give you the confirmation you need. God is a good God. And you're a wonderful people. Amen. I'll say amen to that one. Nobody liked that one. So Mark's given me the subject this morning of eternal covenant. The nice, easy subject of eternal covenant. I'm not going to be able to... Um, give you everything about eternal covenant this morning. But um, my prayer this morning is that you come away inspired to really believe that God has a significant plan for you as a people and for you individually in his purpose. God wants to encourage you this morning. He wants to bless you this morning because he's a good God. I want us to do something together before we turn to the scriptures. I'd like us to stand together. I'd like us to pray. You know, it's not good enough simply to know what God has said about something. The Apostle John said in the book of Revelation that, let him who has an ear hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Not just what he has said to the churches. Jesus put it this way, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You know, the Holy Spirit this morning wants to take the word of Jesus, electrify it with his power, and make it live in your spirit. He wants to bring a dynamism to your life so that you can really believe what he said about you is true, so that whatever situation you come up against this week, you'll be that world-overcoming, devil-defeating born-again believer. Is anybody up for that this morning? Let's pray in the Holy Ghost together. Come on. Let's pray with faith in the Holy Spirit together. If you speak in tongues, now is the time to speak in tongues. If you don't, now is the time to speak in tongues. Wonderful Holy Spirit, this morning we recognize your Lordship in this house. Father, we thank you that you've given us the Spirit 
who takes that which belongs to Jesus and he makes it known to us. So we ask you, precious Holy Spirit, be present with us as we open your word. God, illuminate and reveal the sun in our midst this morning. Jesus, bring us fresh bread from heaven. God, we're not satisfied with how far we've come so far. Lord, our hearts cry, more Lord. Lord, we want more of you. We want to know more of Jesus this morning. Holy Spirit, we pray, show us more of Jesus. Open up your word to us. Come in the spirit of revelation and wisdom this morning. Change us and transform us. Lord, we know that as we behold Jesus, we're transformed to be like him. Transform us, spirit, because we want to be like Jesus. Lord, we acknowledge without the Spirit, it's impossible to interpret the Scriptures. And so we ask you, Spirit, be our teacher this morning. As we open your word, be our teacher this morning. Show us the deep things of God. And everybody said, Amen. You can take your seats. Praise God. Well, how many of you here have ever heard a sermon on covenant before? Show of hands. Quite a few people. Now, there's a saying that you'll be familiar with. It's um, familiarity breeds contempt. And um, some of you in this room have probably heard over the years many, many, many sermons on covenant. And that's brilliant. But, you know, I believe that in this season of time, all over this country particularly, that God wants to do something fresh in our understanding of covenant. And I'm so excited that you guys have got 10 fantastic weeks to discover that manifold wisdom of Jesus expressed in covenant. So I just want you to open your heart wide this morning because it really is my privilege to kick you off. <laughs> that sounds a bit wrong, though. I'm going to kick you off. To kick off your series on covenant. If you're taking notes this morning, my title is Eternal Covenant, As He Is, So Are We. Eternal Covenant, As He Is, So Are We. And my first point is this, that covenant begins and ends with God. You may have heard teaching on covenant before, and, and we could do it this morning, we could look at Genesis and we could look at the Adamic covenant and we could look at how God spoke and created this beautiful first family and made a covenant with them and told them to go forth and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And we could track God's covenant purpose and we could look at the Noahic covenant and God's promise never to flood the earth in that way again. And we could look at the Davidic covenant. We could look at the Abrahamic covenant. We could look all the way through. And I've spoken on, on covenant a number of times in a number of settings in the past few months. And the one thing that's been really stamped and impressed on my spirit is from the Lord that really we need to start at the very beginning. Sounds like a sound of music song, doesn't it? We need to start at the beginning because there was a covenant in heaven long before there was ever a covenant cut on earth. Covenant 
begins and ends with God. You know, if we, if we simply look at the covenants that God made with man, we only get shadows of what the real covenant is. We get aspects. But really, they all point towards the covenant, which is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The covenant is a description of how God lives in himself. He lives in perfect relationship with himself. God, Father, Son, and Spirit is totally secure in all three persons. The Godhead, John Wesley called it the sweet society, which I really like. And it's this description of a perfect functioning society where the father's totally secure in who he is, where the son is totally secure in who he is, and where the spirit's totally secure in who he is. And nobody's trying to be anybody else because everybody knows their part and everybody's good with that. God is good with himself. This trinity is a pattern of covenant. If you look at how God exists, it's in total relationship. It's perfect relationship. When Jesus came, when he would refer to the Father, he, he would talk about that this glory that the Father had given him, that he would also give to the Father. And, and then he would describe in John 16 where he would send the Spirit and the Spirit wouldn't speak of his own authority, but he'd speak of the authority that the Father and the Son had given him. And this description of this perfect person giving away his glory to one another. Isn't that beautiful? That's covenant. Preferring one another above yourself. And of course we know from the writings of Paul at the end of the age, Paul says that the Son, to whom all the glory has been given in heaven and earth, will return the kingdom back to the Father in that last act of beautiful sacrificial love. That's the kind of covenant that you and I have been called into. That's not just some strange theological concept. It's not just nice to think, oh, that's, that's a nice way to look at things. But it's a pattern for you and I to live in. You'll hear in the next 10 weeks, I'm sure, about the covenant community. You'll hear about what it is to live in covenant relationship with one another. And I want to suggest to you that all of that all of that is found in the person of God. If you get him, you get everything else. It's not hard to live in covenant with one another. We just need to live in God. So why is that important to us? Turn with me, would you, in the scriptures to the book of Genesis, chapter 1. God is good. Just checking you're still awake. Jesus is Lord. Amen. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to go from verse 26. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion, over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock 
and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. It was so, and God saw everything he'd made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning on the sixth day. Verse 27 says, God made man in his image. Male and female, he created them. In his image, he created them. I want to ask you this morning, what is that image? I believe it's more than some celestial attributes that we inherit. It's more than our humanity. It's more than an inherent goodness. It's more than some kind of spiritual DNA. I want to suggest to you this morning the image that you and I were created in is the image of community. I find it so interesting in that verse, verse 27, that the writer's in pains to say God created them in his image and he doesn't even let the sentence stop. He said male and female he created them because singularity can never express God. It's really important that we understand that. That's why me and my ministry and me and my church and me and my job and me and my family can never express God because God himself is in community. He's chosen to express himself in that way. That's why there's something, by the way, there's something really powerful that happens when we come together, when we gather together because it's about him. It reflects who he is. When you come together and and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, he says, when you come together, Everyone has, one will have a song and one will have a hymn, one will have a prophecy and one will have a word of knowledge. It's more than just to make our meetings exciting, you know. It's to express him. That one person would have a word of inspiration and the other person would come and share a scripture and the other person comes, I've got a song to sing. I want to encourage you when you come together, don't let it be just Mark's job to do everything or Stu's job to do everything. Come with something to give. Because God's put it, God has put himself in you so that when you come together, you express who he is. I could say more about that, but I won't. But it's, 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 a, it's a beautiful thing when we come together. This directly contradicts the spirit of the age that's prevalent in our society which is about, as long as I can achieve, as long as I can get my degree and my master's degree and my PhD, as long as I can get more money and I can get a bigger house and a bigger car, that's all right. You know, we can even see that in the church. You know, given it will be given unto you, brother. Press down, shaking together, running over. 
we can use the gospel to get what we want for our lives. But God wants you to give your life away. Not so that you have nothing, but so that you find it. Because his father gives away his glory to the son. And son gives away his glory to the spirit. The spirit returns the glory again to the father. And it's that same cycle that you and I are involved with. I want to suggest to you that God doesn't just want us to be like him. We hear that a lot, don't we? We must be like Jesus. God doesn't want you to be like him. God wants you to be part of him. This covenant that exists in the Godhead is destined to expand and fill the whole universe. That's why Paul writes that it's Christ that will fill all things in all. He wants to invite you, you, us, to participate with him in this beautiful covenant. Turn with me, would you, to 2 Peter chapter 1, just in case you think I'm making this up. 2 Peter chapter, uh, yeah, chapter 1. Brace yourselves for this. This is a powerful word. I don't mind if you get excited when I read this. His divine power has granted to us all things. Say all things. All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he's granted to us his precious and very great promises. Here it is. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption of this world because of sinful desire. So that through them you may become what? Two people know. Through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Not spectators of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. You know, religion wants you to treat God like a work of art. You go and admire him. Oh God, how great you are. You're beautiful and magnificent and glorious. I could never be like you, Lord. You're so high and I'm so low. But God says, I want you to be a partaker of the divine nature. That word, partaker, I love this, means associate, partner, or companion. Wow, 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 wow. God wants you to be an associate with him. Jesus Christ and sons. He wants you to be a partner with him. God, would you rend the heavens and come down? I already did. I'm in you. That's partnership. A companion. You see, God just doesn't want to make a covenant with you. God wants to invite you to be part of him. Part of him, part of his purpose, part of his plan, part of his glory. 
religious people don't like that. You know, religious people can cope with a distant, far-off God. They can cope with a deity that you have to kneel down to and pray five times a day and recite scriptures and do rules and do things that you must do and get slapped on the hand when you're naughty. Religious people are fine with that. But when you start talking about being an associate with God, when you start talking about my school's blessed when I walk in the corridor, my job's blessed when I walk in the office, my university's blessed when I walk in the lecture theater, that sounds very prideful, Adam. I thought we were to be humble. That is humble. It's not blessed because of me. It's blessed because of who's in me. That's why you're a world changer. That's why you're a devil destroyer. That's why you're a world overcomer. Because he's made you a partner. And the enemy's done this great job in convincing the church that it's powerless. It's done a great job in convincing the church that we need more prayer meetings to pray for some revival that hasn't come yet. I want to announce to you this morning, the revival is on the inside of you. And his name is Jesus. Forgive me, I get excited. I'm preaching myself happy. <laughs> Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. Hallelujah. No, we need less wimpy Christians. More Christians who just caught hold of something. Who believe that they can transform the world. Who believe that there's a divine seed in you that's here to produce by the love and the grace and the fellowship that's in God himself. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You have died. Your insecurity, your inability... Your sin, your limitations have died. And now you are seated with him in heavenly places. You're seated with him in heavenly places. Go to Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10. I want you to see this in the Bible. So that you don't think it's just that strange man from Coventry. That's getting excited. But it's in the Bible. Anybody like the Bible? Hallelujah. That's good. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10. No, that's not right. Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 10, that's better. For it was fitting that he, 
for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and he and those rather who are sanctified have all the one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Verse 11 says, that is why he is not ashamed to call them slaves. Is that right? That's why he's not ashamed to call them employees. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. He's not ashamed to be your brother. Oh, he is your Lord. He is your master. He is your source. He is your savior. But he's not ashamed to be your brother. It says in that passage in Hebrews that he's called them into that same glory and excellence. That word is magnificence, renown, and preeminence. I hear many Christians say, I've been called into magnificence, preeminence, and renown to be beside my brother Jesus. You might get stoned, mightn't you? That's all right. That's all right. Many of our forefathers did too. I believe that in Leeds, God is looking. God is looking for a people who want to be brothers. God wants to mature us so that in Leeds, God can have some associates to dispel the darkness that's prevalent around us, to see a testimony of God raised up in this city. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of sons born into the kingdom. Can you imagine no crime? Can you imagine the jails have to shut? Can you imagine the hospitals empty? That's just wishful thinking, Adam. No. That's the purpose of God. You and I have settled for so little. And God this morning wants to say, bigger vision. Bigger vision. Say, well, Lord, there's not that many of us. Twelve people turn the world upside down. It's time to wake up, church. It's time to do some family business. Amen. Second point is this. I only have two points. Don't worry. <laughs> Covenant, you know, is more than a doctrine. It's a heavenly family sustained by his love. You may have thought this morning, well, you sound very military. You sound very, you know, are you angry? I'm not angry. This is a passion driven by the love of God. I'm not going to exposit this scripture we're going to because I know that you're looking at this in one of the weeks to come. I'd get in trouble with Mark if I started that, but I won't, I promise you. But I just want to pick out one line. Can we go to John chapter 17? I believe you've got a whole week on this. This is good stuff. You could, yeah. 
<laughs> You'll enjoy that week. John chapter 17. Because I want to convince you this morning that it is God's will that you can be part of him. And as part of him, that we go and do the things of the kingdom. I want to convince you that it's God's will. It's not my idea, it's God's will. Say, lots of people, I don't know what the will of God for my life is. Be part of him. Do the things that your father does. That's all you need to worry about. Well, don't worry about it. <laughs> Jesus had something to say about that as well, but there we go. John chapter 17. We won't read all of this. I'll just give you a bit of a praise John chapter 17, it's often called the high priestly prayer. It's where Jesus is praying, and he knows he's going to the cross, and he knows that he's about to give up his life as a ransom for many, and he knows that what's about to come is the most horrific point in history, but the scripture says that for the joy set before him, he endured all that, scorning its shame. The joy was us, by the way. He endured it for us. Magnificent. But he's speaking in this passage, and read it in your own time, and, and the language he uses, he says, Father, you've given me this glory, and the glory that you've given me, I give to them. He's talking about his disciples. And he talks about I in me, and you in me, and me in them, and them in us, and you think, goodness me. I don't think my head can quite get around this passage of Scripture. And you know it's not supposed to. That's the wonderful thing. You've got to get this in your spirit. You can't get this in your head. I would suggest to you the reason it's written so in such a complicated way is God wants to get us to a point where you don't know whether it's you or God. The world doesn't know whether it's Jesus or it's you or what. I, I, there was a terminal cancer and now it's not there and I, I don't quite know how it's, I don't know what it's done, I don't know where it's gone, I don't know who it is. Was it God? Was it Jesus? Well, of course, it's Jesus. Say, so, look, I didn't even pray. I didn't even think that, I, I didn't really feel like I, I heard God. But you're so in tune with the flow of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember reading in, in, in the book of Acts, I think it's chapter 10, where Peter's shadow, just as he's walking by, he's not, he's not conscious of it. His shadow's and suddenly all the sick are healed. What is that? It's covenant. It's walking with him. It's being part of him. There's a passage in the Old Testament where it's talking about um, Elijah, you know, when he prays for rain. And it makes this small comment. It says, and, and it said that there wasn't rain except at Elijah's word. I find that incredible, that God would wait for Elijah's word to send the rain. You know, it didn't say there wasn't rain until Elijah heard God and then proclaimed the rain. There's a place to get to in God where proclamation, you're not quite sure. I know some of the religious spirits in here are going, ah! But that's okay. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. <laughs> the spirit, not you. God wants to bring us into a freedom to see the extraordinary miracles. You don't get that by going to more miracle meetings, by the way. You don't get that by signing up to the latest, greatest, best thing in Christendom. You get that through walking with your Father, day by day. 
hearing his whisper, responding to his word. I'm sure many of you have had this, um, this situation where God's beginning to train you. You know, many of you, I'm sure, have prayed, Lord, I want to hear your voice more clearly. I want to know, I want to know what to do. Has anybody had that experience? And I only say this because I've spoken to lots of people who have. And you're walking down the road and you see the litter and you walk past and you feel like God says, pick the litter up. Yeah? And you pick the litter up and you think, why the heck am I picking litter on the street? And he's just training you. In the small things, he wants to train you. When you're washing the dishes, when you're, when you're hoovering, when you're looking after the kids, when you're at work, he just wants to train you. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, Romans 8 tells us, they are the sons of God. I need to move quickly now. John 17, verse 26. I've made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. There is no mystery to how this covenantal relationship happens, how it works. It's the love shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. Because I've tried the legalistic way. You know where you have to read one from the old, one from the new, a psalm and a proverb, and you have to pray six hours a day, and you know, then you finish university and you get a job, and you think, oh my goodness, I'm not going to be able to do anything for God anymore. <laughs> and it didn't work anyway. But God doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to fall in love with him. He wants to woo you with his love. He wants to quiet you with his love. He wants to heal you with his love. He wants to bless you with his love. He wants to compel you by his love. He wants to love you. I want to ask you a question. This whole passage hinges on that they may be one as we are one. How is God one? The theologians amongst us, you'll say, well, Adam, it's the hypostatic union. And you would be correct. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, the oneness that exists in God is beautiful. Because the Father, in his oneness, is in no way diminished because he is not the Savior Son. And the Son is in no way diminished because he's not the originator or the creator, God. And the Father and the Son are in no way diminished because they're not the energizer or the spirit. Because they understand that they are all of those things. See where I'm going here? That's why Paul said, when one part of the body is honored, everyone rejoices. Jealousy has no place in the body of Christ. That's a spirit that wants to rob us of the power of oneness and diversity, which coexist in God and therefore coexist in who we are. They operate, Father, Son, Spirit, in total acceptance of one another, total love of one another. You see, covenant ensures that you find equality by value, but you celebrate the difference in grace and function. I don't have to be like Mark. And Mark doesn't have to be like you, me or you. And you don't have to be like us. But together, we express 
who he is. Man, man, if you guys can get hold of this, I'm telling you, if you can get hold of this, nothing will be impossible for you.